Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Hi there, ladies and gents, and welcome to the Sophisticated Property Podcast with me, Frank Flegg, your host. And today we are moving on to the second of the top five questions that I get asked by new investors or clients. How do you negotiate a deal? Which is a very big question. I could talk all day about negotiation and obviously I can't. I've got a little under an hour to share with you my nuggets about how to go about negotiating a sophisticated property investment. So let's start with the process of negotiation it involves i was about to say you wanting to buy a property but i think there's an assumption we we make loads of assumptions by the way and i'm going to talk about some of those in this podcast it starts with you wanting to perhaps not buy but permanently control a property and if we're property investors then i think that's probably true some people might have strategies such as rent to rent where you're happy to swap your time for a temporary flow of cash flow. I'm not. That's not a strategy that I'm interested in. I say I'm not. Would I be willing to do a bit of work for a million pound a month if that wasn't forever? Yeah, <laughs> I would. So even that statement of permanently controlling a property perhaps isn't accurate. And, and I'm deliberately being philosophical about this because you have to start from a firm foundation of what the negotiation is so you want some property you want to make some money from property maybe that's broad enough yeah i want to make money from every property i control okay so let's start with that i want to make some money from property that i'm going to control yeah i think that's unequivocal and then what does the other person want because i've just said the word money you might be thinking well they want some money from property nope not necessarily i've bought loads of properties where the vendor didn't get a penny they got rid of a liability they have freed themselves of a time commitment they have escaped the prospect of repossession and not had a penny more in their pocket so that isn't actually the case it isn't that they want some money so how broad do we need to go before it catches everyone i think they get a solution to their property problem so what have we got you're going to make some money from property that you control and they are going, <laughs> I've now thought of an exception to that. I actually do consultancy and one of our 62 strategies for monetizing property is consultancy where you don't control the property at all. You just make money. <laughs> you swap your time for money. That's interesting, isn't it? So yeah, you're going to make some money from your involvement in property. Although we are talking about deals, aren't we? So controlling the property. The other person on the negotiation is getting a solution to their problem. And we don't know what their problem is. And therein lies the next stage of the negotiation. You have to understand what they want. And one of the most important concepts in a negotiation, any negotiation, is WIFM. W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? 
and that is so so important you have to be thinking and this is what most people do most people do with them but they do it the wrong way around they're thinking what's in it for me what can i get out of this deal this property's on the market for 100 grand so can i get it for 90 or frank on the podcast says i should be buying it for 70 let me go off for 70 because then i get 30 grand equity i get i get what do i get it's all about me and it can't be it has to all be about the other person so what's in it for them what do they want what do they need and then how can you give them that how can you give them what they need that's the key absolutely critical you have to work out what they want and this is why buying through agents is especially hard because agents often don't know what their vendors need they just assume to be fair most of their clients the vast majority just want market value for their properties they assume that their job is to get market value for their properties they don't actually stop to do the five minutes of thinking that we've just done together to think that actually some vendors, not many, but some, and certainly the ones that we're going to do sophisticated property investing transactions with, are wanting something other than market value for their properties. In fact, I did some market research yesterday. I went and met with five estate agents. Went to a little town not too far from where I live. Sat down. Took me about two and a half hours to sit down with five estate agents. I just walked into them and had a chat about what they had on their books what the vendors were motivated by most of them didn't know most of them didn't have a clue some agents it's so interesting I gave them a criteria that I knew was possible in this area and so I was saying well I'm looking for properties between this value and this value I'm wanting rents around this mark for this value and around this mark for this value freehold only what have you got in your books and some of them almost laughed me out of the shop really funny I wasn't being ridiculous but they had nothing on their books one woman actually said oh I've got a list as long as my arm of investors that want stuff like that <laughs> and I thought to myself well there's loads on right move why aren't you joining them up charge them some some fees for it <laughs> go, 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 go join those dots but of course it's bravado isn't it it's a false impression that they have of the market. I asked all of them how the market was at the moment and they all talked up the market apart from one. One was really open and she said, yeah, it's a tricky one at the moment because we're having to explain to our vendors that the market's falling. They're not all understanding that yet. So some of them are holding out for higher prices. And this is what happens in a falling market, guys. The vendors have been told by the experts, in inverted commas, the, the estate agents, that they can get X for their property. Now, a month, two months, three months, four months, five months, some of these properties have been on the market five months, the agents are having to have a conversation with them saying, actually, we told you it was worth X, but now it's worth 90% of X. 85% of X in order to sell and some vendors are unwilling to accept that so they're sticking at X but the problem is it's not going to sell at that and so when you're trying to understand a vendor's situation like I was told so many times yesterday 
because I was testing, right? I was testing the agents. I found one good agent out of five, actually. And that might develop into a relationship if I invest enough time. I'm not sure I can be bothered to, but if I invested enough time, that might develop into a relationship whereby I started to get sophisticated deals. I started to get motivated vendors, but it's certainly not going to happen with the other four and the reason is the other four were selling themselves they were selling themselves and trying to sell me on the fact that I was trying to do something that was really hard it's, it's really interesting out of five agents not a single one offered me a cup of tea but I was walking in telling them that I wanted to buy multiple properties explaining that in the current climate I wasn't going to use a mortgage I was going to buy cash and the irony was I was actually doing this for my partner my partner does want to buy cash properties and I was saying that to the agents I was saying that my partner wants to buy some buy to lets she's got cash these are her criteria what have you got and given the amount of money like if you walked into a Ferrari showroom and you were trying to drop a few hundred thousand pounds on the Ferrari I'm pretty sure they'd treat you well I'm pretty sure they'd make you a cup of tea sit you down ask you what brought you to their showroom what made you uh fancy a Ferrari would you like to come and see a Ferrari would you like to come and have a driving one but yeah it's really interesting it's almost in, in some of them it was as if I was an inconvenience as if they were doing me a favor by talking to me about properties it's really interesting really interesting I've got four three or four properties that my partner's interested in that we're going to go back and view and this is a really alien process for me because I don't buy retail I buy wholesale so I don't look at the property first I look at the vendor first as, as you guys know so this is a real insight for me into how the rest of the world buy property it's only because my my other half doesn't want to go down the sophisticated property route she doesn't want to market for vendors she doesn't want to put the time and effort in and we've agreed that we're not going to do business together we're going to keep our relationship personal as opposed to a business relationship and so the compromise there is I'm helping her to buy retail it's a real eye-opener for how the rest of the market does business the best agent on there the only thing that they knew about the vendor was that it was a probate property in fact I think all three of the properties are probate the three that we're interested in they knew that an offer had been made and being declined and what that offer was and they disclosed that which by the way loads of agents won't they won't tell you what the vendors accepted and and and, and turned down previously but most of them didn't know if the property had been on with other agents previously which of course we can find out didn't know how much of a hurry the the vendors were were in one actually one valuer did know a bit more about his vendors so he knew that the vendor was going into care, into a care home and and that the property is all about the property. That's funny, isn't it? The property needed this and that. So when you're negotiating sophisticated deals, you really, really need to be negotiating with the vendor. And if you've sourced the vendor through an agent, then you need to be getting in front of the vendor. And that's where building relationships with the agents is really important. Or marketing off-market properties. So finding properties that aren't even on the market yet. But by the way, when you source properties off-market, sometimes they're on the market, but because you find them off-market, it's just a completely different conversation. The number of times that's happened to me where I've bought a property for 30% below what it was on the market for. And the agents, their jaws would drop if they knew that I had 
paid 65 grand for a 100 grand property before now. They could have sold that in a heartbeat for 65 grand if they'd known that their vendor was willing to accept it. But their vendor responded to one of my leaflets or called me out of the newspaper. And that's the difference. That's what makes the difference. That you then sit with a vendor, work out what they want, understand there's one couple in particular in Nottingham and they'd listed with probably the biggest agent in Nottingham. I'm going back a few years now. They were landlords. They'd bought this property. They'd done it up themselves with their own hands and then they'd rented it out themselves, made a massive mistake, put an awful tenant in. I I think it was a tenant who was a, a professional cheat so there are some tenants around that go from susceptible landlord to naive landlord to gullible landlord and and basically pay the first month pay their deposit and then stay in for a year and then go do it to someone else and they'd had this happen to them tenant had made a right mess of the property and they were just broken they could not rent that they'd done it up so it was nice again and they just couldn't rent it out it was too much for them and so I bought it from them and it was sat I think I think it was worth like a hundred and it was sat in the market 115 or something crazy because that's what they really would like for it that was their um break even and I, I i explained that i could only offer them 65 i remember them saying yeah we'll just take that and it was on right move with an agent i signed an option agreement there and then uh, which gave me the legal right to buy it they wrote a letter there and then serving notice on their agent and that's something I, I do if a property's on the market I help the vendors to terminate that agreement because obviously if they terminate that agreement and if they sell to a third party that they've sourced outside of that time frame then often they do have to check their terms and conditions but often they're not liable for the fees then we'll often do that and then obviously their their notice runs out before we've actually completed the purchase so they save on their estate agent fees sometimes we'll pay their estate agent fees but often they won't be due they won't be liable for them if that agent had got to know their vendor better they could have completely changed the situation they could have easily found the purchaser at that price they could have served that vendor months earlier think that property had been on the market like six months and so when people go oh it's really hard to find deals there aren't any deals around that's rubbish there's loads of deals around because there are loads of motivated vendors in the current climate there are so many more motivated vendors because the market is so hard to sell this is a buyer's market you can absolutely mop up in this market i'm so excited about this year and next year if i'm honest and it's just going to get better and better every time i see a newspaper article from some overly excited journalists saying how bad the housing market is how it's slumping or crashing or all these crazy adjectives they use i just smile to myself because it's just reinforcing to vendors that they have no other options than to sell to someone like me. And that's great. It's just create an environment where my services become more valuable, where I can solve more problems. There are more property problems out there today than there were this time last year. Fantastic. It's like a a world champion snooker player. And all of a sudden there's five times as many tournaments for him to play at. Well, brilliant. He's going to employ his skills more and he's going to get paid more money perfect and so that's the situation that we find ourselves in at the moment now i've got a few parts of the negotiation so the first one 
is you need to negotiate slowly being no hurry to negotiate if a vendor takes a day to come back to you take a day to go back to them if the vendor says they want to think about it no problem at all when would you like us to next chat i'd like a week okay today's wednesday shall i give you a call next wednesday be really really patient and by the way the way you become patient if you're desperate for a deal is to have loads of these negotiations going on and then you're in abundance and i'll come back to abundance in a minute but you need to negotiate really slowly but once you get a yes you close really quickly and that comes from brad sugars he talks about negotiating slowly and closing quickly in his book billionaire in training and if you're wanting to understand the art of sophisticated negotiation billionaire in training is a really good book actually now it focuses on buying businesses in a sophisticated manner so no money down business purchasing is, is what billionaire in training is mostly about that's by bradley j sugars but the principle of that negotiation process are very very similar to what you want to be doing with your property vendors you obviously just tweak them a bit and what brad says in that book is once you get a yes you close you're there tomorrow you take the paperwork you get them signed up on the option and you become the controller of that property you legally then have the right to purchase it so negotiate slowly and close quickly i mentioned abundance there's two different ways that you need to be focused on abundance. The first is mindset. And I talk about mindset a lot because it underpins everything. So you have to believe, you have to believe to your core, all the way down to your soul, that there are deals growing on trees all around you. I was talking to um, Maddie my business partner about a deal we're doing at the moment the structure of the deal requires us to flip a few properties it started off being one or two and actually now we need to flip probably three or four a year for the duration of the deal i don't work with many investors at all at the moment actually I, i'm more focused on on my business interests and do one to many um in terms of my teaching so i'll generally teach a room of people rather than work one-on-one -on -one with people I, I do a little but not individual investors that want to buy one or two properties i generally will work with people that want to build much larger portfolios and so i said this is going to be on you to flip these properties are you confident that you can find three investors, four investors a year? And she laughed. She actually laughed at me and said, Frank, absolutely. Investors just, and she wasn't being big headed, but she was saying like, investors are everywhere. Absolutely no problem at all. I don't have any reservations about that, which is incredible, isn't it? It's incredible to have that level of belief, that level of abundance. I was impressed by it. That's her belief. That's her mindset. And therefore it becomes her reality. And so you have to have an abundant mindset. There are motivated vendors everywhere. And, and I've seen this recently actually in, in a client, you have to believe you can help them. If you don't believe you can help a client, then you're right. You can't because you have to believe you can help them and then 
then you'll be actually able to help them. So you have to believe that you can do sophisticated deals. You have to believe that you can solve people's property problems. It's really funny because you might not have the experience, but you'll know someone who does. Very occasionally, someone impresses me with their innovation. And recently, someone on YouTube, uh, a subscriber to our YouTube channel, reached out and it just in the comments and said, um, in fact, you probably see the comment online, said, I've got a deal, Frank. How would you structure it or how would you negotiate it with a vendor i forget the exact question i don't read the youtube comments i have someone read them for me and and respond and if most of them they know how to respond but this one they said what would you like us to say because they're not qualified to structure a deal and i said oh that's interesting and they shared the question with me and i said that that's going to take 10 or 15 minutes to answer that i tell you what let's book a call with this person and I'll give him 15 minutes of my time and I'll coach him one-on-one with it so I did my PA gave him my mobile number and booked a time for when I was driving and we spent 15 minutes on the phone and I I solved his problem for him I solved how to negotiate that particular transaction how to structure it with the vendor and he didn't have anyone who could help him with that but he went and found someone he had the confidence to go and find someone who who did and that's what you need to do you need to back yourself that if you don't know the answer, you'll go find it somewhere. So abundance that these are everywhere, these deals, and and they absolutely are. But if you don't believe they are, if all you do is look on Rightmove, then yeah, you're not going to find them. And secondly, you have to have an abundance of negotiations, which I've mentioned already. You have to have loads of these going on. If you only, I see this all the time with novice investors. They have one vendor who might be interested. So they stop marketing. They stop finding other vendors. After a month, two months, sometimes three, four, five, six months, when that deal falls through, because most of these deals fall through, then you've, you've emptied your pipeline. Whereas if you keep bringing in three, four, five vendors, a month and you start negotiating with them and you're negotiating slowly you're in abundance you've got 20 30 deals that you're negotiating and some of them a small number are going to become actual purchases and so that having a number of deals to negotiate is really really important being in abundance third tip when it comes to negotiation is an amazing system developed by a guy called tom hopkins And it's called Sell It Today, Sell It Now. And you can buy his book of the same title, Sell It Today, Sell It Now by Tom Hopkins. And he talks about sales resistance and sales acceptance. He uses the metaphor of two thermometers and you have to reduce their resistance and you have to increase their acceptance that you can solve their property problem. It's not a property book, it's a sales book, but really, really valuable. So my suggestion is if you're serious about your negotiating, then read that book if you haven't already read it. I've read it twice now. It's a very, very good book. Next on my list is body language and tonality. And this is where people go, oh, you know, negotiating is negotiating, but it's not. It absolutely isn't. I was in a negotiation a couple of days ago and it was on Zoom. I was the customer, so I was negotiating with a supplier, but it was a big deal. We've done the deal. We've agreed all the price. It's quite a long negotiation. It was two Zoom meetings over three days and we probably spent a total of two hours on Zoom. Not ideal if I'm honest. Should have probably done it face to face, but they were arranged by a business partner. 
we will double their business by becoming a client we will double their business over the next 12 months so it's quite a big negotiation for them and I knew it was big for them which is why I negotiated really hard actually but it was incredibly hard because it was over zoom I couldn't see their hands couldn't see their body position very well and they were well lit so I could see their facial expressions and they could see mine but yeah it was really hard I've never met them before either that was hard so it's really hard to build rapport like them but very hard and it did hamper the negotiation massively and of course I'm trying to give them money so it's really important to put yourself in a position where body language and tonality now obviously I could hear their tonality really well but I couldn't see their body language so you really want both if at all possible and you need to work on yours you need to work on your body language you need to work on your tonality there's a really good book actually on body language it's by an ex FBI agent Joe Navarro the book is what everybody is saying and it just gives you so many tips so many really really helpful tells really poker tells and this is why poker players you'll often see them wearing hats and sunglasses because they don't want to give away what they're excited about and what they're not excited about this is where sitting with an agent asking questions about the vendor looks a bit ridiculous because i'm telling you to read the, the vendor's body language to listen to their tonality to understand what their real issues are and you're not even in the same room as the vendor this is how hard it is and this is why people then start to believe the lie that there aren't motivated vendors around because you're not understanding the vendor's motivation because you're not even talking to the vendor so really important to become a master of your own body language but also understanding others and you might think oh this is very machiavellian frank this is really manipulative no most vendors are embarrassed most vendors are scared to tell you what their actual motivation is they in some cases are about to lose their entire life savings everything might be wrapped up in that house or if that house is repossessed they might lose everything and so what i'm saying to you is get better because if most vendors don't feel comfortable telling you what the real problem is what hope do you have of solving it one of my sayings is that vendors lie and they do but it doesn't make them bad people they're not lying to make it hard, make your job harder they're lying because they're fearful they're lying because they are embarrassed they're lying because they're in denial if you can get good enough at your job to spot that then you are in the position where you can help them where you can say is it worse than that mr smith actually frank it is yeah actually it's not just a little bit of cash flow problem actually i've not paid my mortgage for 10 months actually the bailiffs are coming next week to change the locks okay mr smith well thank you for trusting me with that good news is i can help you but if you don't get to that point you can't help them and you walk away going ah he's not motivated enough the number of properties I've bought, by the way, from vendors who've already met with property buying companies, huge number. And it's just that they haven't bought, built enough rapport, just that they haven't got a good enough relationship. Next up, we've got, it's quite closely related, actually, the emotional bank account. When you are negotiating, it doesn't matter what you're negotiating about. If you're negotiating with an investor for them to put money into a deal, if you're negotiating with an investor who's going to buy a property, if you're negotiating with a vendor for you to buy their property 
the emotional bank account is really important. And I have talked about it before on the podcast. I'm not going to go into loads of detail, but basically it's the law of reciprocity. (laughs) I nearly, nearly fell over on that one. Reciprocating. So if I do something for you, you're going to feel more likely to do something for me. So what can you do in the negotiation that the other side is going to appreciate? Can you buy them a coffee? Can you drive them? I I often will drive my investors, A, because I spend more time with them and can answer their questions and build more rapport. But B, if I drive them to the property and back, they're going to be grateful. So then when I say, do you want to buy it? By the way, I'd never say that. That's a really poor, closed question that brings no into play. But when I then say, should we do the paperwork now or do you want to do it next week? Do you want to go with my solicitors to buy this or your solicitors? Those are better questions, by the way, better closing questions. They're going to feel far more inclined to go ahead because I've just bought them lunch, just driven them to and from the property. It all has a cumulative effect on the likelihood of the person going ahead of them doing the deal with you. And some people have a real issue with this. They're like, no, I'm just going to present the deal and then they can take it or not. I'm not going to try and influence the outcome. And I'm very damning of that because do you not believe you're the best person in the world to help them does that investor not have cash sat in the bank shrinking at a rate of 10 percent a year at the moment in real terms most investors out there are still not getting two percent on their money and yet their money is shrinking at 10 percent a year 12 percent a year against inflation that's a double digit drop in the buying power of that money and you're arrogant enough to say well you know if they want to go ahead they can but i'm not going to try and help them i'm not going to make it as easy as possible for them to go ahead and get that money into a property that's going to improve one of those properties i worked it out yesterday one of those properties at a cash purchase so 100 percent cash purchase is going to return 7.3 percent cash on cash return that's the rent against the value of the property 7.3 percent yield that's not bad but then after refinancing it jumps to above 12 percent 12 point something percent that's in impressive and you might think yeah but the money's still shrinking it's actually not because what you're not factoring in there is long-term capital growth and once it's leveraged the capital growth is actually quadrupled because you're using three quarters bank money that's just gone over your head grab a calculator and play around with it if you buy a property and you put 25 grand in it and it's 100 grand and then the property goes up by 25 percent people think oh my property's gone up by 25 percent I've made 25% of my money. No, actually, you've doubled your money. You've made 100% return on your money because you had 25 grand in it and now you've got 50 grand in it. So if you're thinking that it's okay for you to do a shoddy job of explaining the benefits of property investing to the investor, and I bet some of you listening have just gone, cool, yeah, never thought about that with capital growth. Never thought that actually the return, I've got an investor at the moment who's really focused on yield. I barely use yield. I use cash on cash return on investment. It's a far better comparison of how my money's working for me. But I feel a duty to explain how well I can help my clients, whether they're vendors, finance investors, full market value investors, JV partners. It's my duty to do my absolute best job to negotiate with them, to help them to do business with me, because I believe I'm the best person in the world to do business with them. And you have to get to that mindset. It's a mindset, again, of believing that. And if you believe that, it will flow from you. 
that belief will come out of your pores. It will be sensed by those you come into contact with. You will get more vendors contacting you because you'll get referrals. You'll get more investors being referred to you. You'll have people that you never even thought had money saying, I've heard you can do this or you mentioned this. It's why I talk about what I do all the time because people gravitate towards me and ask me for for help. One of my competitors, what about this? One of my competitors who's in a mastermind with me I do like to collaborate with others in the industry one of my competitors left me a voice note a few days ago and said Frank I've got a client VIP client you know so top top level client he's wanting to do something that you've done but I've not done there's probably nothing in this for you (laughs) he's really really open about it there's probably nothing in this for you and I certainly don't you know want you to be servicing you know providing the service to my top level clients but would you be willing to take a call from this person because I know you can help them and I'm sure they'll really appreciate it. And I said, absolutely, more than happy to. And that person gave me a call. I said, just give them my mobile number and get them to call me whenever it's convenient to them. And if I can't pick up, I'll phone them back. And they called me and they called me at a really good time. I spent 43 minutes on the phone with them uh, yesterday. This is someone I'm not going to make any money from someone who I I was just serving them for 43 minutes but that is because I believe I can help them even my competitor picked up on that even my competitor thought how can I help my client I know I'll ask if Frank will take a call from them if you have that level of belief people will come to you with transactions that competitor now I'm not keeping score but it is certainly far more likely that that competitor now comes to me with a big deal and says Frank actually there's this opportunity do you think you could help or Frank I've got this client I think they'd be better off with a franchise or I think they'd be better off doing this what do you think do you would you like to collaborate on this highly likely much more likely now because of that abundance mindset I wasn't trying to monetize that call I wasn't trying to do a deal with that client now as it happens that client may well want to JV with me and then it might be a conversation with me and my competitor to say look this guy's asked if he can do this would you be open to that would you mind if I did that would you like to come in on the JV there's a million ways that that could pan out or nothing and I've just given him 43 minutes of my my life it really is critical that you get that mindset right that these deals exist everywhere all that needs to happen is that people need to know you exist and then you need to be able to communicate effectively how you can solve their problem and it comes back to that start that philosophical five minutes we had at the start which is I want to make money from controlling property and they want me to solve their problem I think the words emanate but I don't know like flows out of you shines out of you if you communicate with every fiber of your being that you can help them that you are world class at solving property problems and when I say you're the best in the world you are the best in the world because you're the person stood in front of them like (laughs) I might think that my competitor if I was if I was sat right with a vendor I might think that that competitor I've just spoken about um I should say friend really we're friends in the same mastermind that my friend could do a better job but he's not sat there and he might be too busy to sit there and he's not found that vendor and that vendor's not found him. And maybe he'd sit in front of them and the vendor wouldn't take a shine to them and wouldn't trust them. So there's a million reasons why that person might be better or might not be better. But right now I'm the best person in front of that vendor because no one else is in front of them. 
And so they need some help and I can help them. And if I can't help them, I'm going to pick up the phone and find someone who can. That's the key, that belief. My final tip on negotiation is practice. Practice, practice, practice. And you might think, yeah, but I don't get many deals, Frank. I don't get many leads. I don't speak to many vendors. How can I practice? Practice on everything. Practice when you go to Costa. Practice when you go to a hotel. What can you get added on? What can you get discounted? Practice when you go on holiday. Practice when you go to the shop. Practice when you go to a market. Most people actually quite enjoy a bit of negotiation. And you call it haggling, bartering, whatever. But you'll get good at it if you practice it. And if you're thinking, oh, I couldn't do that. I couldn't, I couldn't ask someone in a shop to give me a, a discount. Then you have a massive barrier to negotiating. If you can't negotiate over a hundred pound pair of shoes in a shoe shop, then by the way, most staff in a shop have the discretion to knock 10% off at the drop of a hat. Imagine if you just knock 10% off your living costs right now, that'd make a bit of a difference to how much money you could uh, invest in property. They don't even have to check on a manager normally. And by the way, a great question to ask is, so what's your best price you can do these for? Not can I have a discount, which again brings no into play. But the key is to practice. Practice until it becomes second nature. I set my kids challenges. I say to my kids, if they ask for something, I say, yeah, how much is it? And they say, oh, it's X. And I go, yeah, if you can get it for Y, you can have it. It's like a challenge, like a game, gamifying negotiation for them because they need to practice. And they'll come back and say, oh, no, they said definitely not. Oh, never mind. We'll be able to find someone who can. You know, when you're on holiday and they all want, you know, a little bracelet or they want a little memento or something. There's like stand after stand after stand. I'll say, yeah, sure. Go, go see if someone else will do it. Oh, dad, I found this. Brilliant. How much have they said they wanted? OK, let's see if we can get it for this. Go see how you get on. And they enjoy it. But if you think about the messages I'm teaching them there. There's always more vendors around. If someone says no, someone else will say yes. You don't get unless you ask. Stand your ground. Because I'm giving them an artificial top price, aren't I? And I bet, I bet these poor storeholders are thinking, what What on earth? I often do it. I'll haggle with people. And then I'll leave a tip that's more than what I've knocked off. And then sometimes my kids, they've stopped now, but sometimes my kids will go, what have you just done, Dad? Because they'll, they'll hear me haggling for ages, you know, and, and trying to get the best price. And then the person will go, oh, thank you so much. And they're like, Dad, why did you thank them? And I said, oh, I paid more than, than they asked for. <laughs> and you might be thinking, that's crazy, Frank. You know, you, they're asking a tenner. So you knock them down to eight quid, but then you give them 12. <laughs> but that's it. It's part of the game, isn't it? I love I love the game. It's not, it's not knocking two quid off. And I want, I want people to enjoy doing business with me. I want to be abundant because there's so much money around, isn't there? We just have to direct it through our hands for a period of time. And I think if you do approach negotiation from that perspective of it being a game, that you're the best person to help this person with their property problem. If they say yes, fantastic, you can help them. If they say no, no problem at all. I wish you all the best with solving your problem. You can always come back to me if your situation changes. And if you approach it like that, you will have people say yes. You'll have people say no and then come back to you and say yes. And they will refer you to more and more people who you can help. And before you know it, you'll have deals falling in your lap at a very regular rate. Guys, I hope that has been helpful for you. I hope you've enjoyed that second part of this five-part series. Next up, a very common question. This is our next episode that people ask. 
which is that new investors or new clients ask, I'm too busy, how can I start investing? Or how can I build my portfolio? I'm really busy with my business, with my day job, with my family. I have a full life. So a lot of the strategies, Frank, you talk about take a lot of time. How can I invest in a sophisticated manner in property when I have so little time? That's what we'll be covering next week. Cheers, guys. Until next time. Happy investing. Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment.